One is, I did not write this. So I agree with it. It's the Word of God, but uh, I didn't write it. So if you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, then pay close attention to what this passage of Scripture says about the responsibilities of wives, the responsibilities of husbands. Another comment is, uh, it's probably a good idea not to elbow your spouse during this sermon, (laughs) because your time is coming. So it starts off with wives, and husbands are going to be tempted to kind of nudge their wives a little bit. I I urge you, do not do it, you fool. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, So, and then a third comment is, of course, as pastor, I'm, I'm sometimes privy to uh, marriage situations in the church, and people will talk to me about marriage situations. I just want you to know that I am not, I've not directed this sermon towards anyone in particular. I'm not trying to do counseling work from the pulpit. And so this is, uh, I, I often have people say after the service, Wow, that that just felt like you were preaching right at me. Or did somebody talk to you about me this past week? No, that's not the case. And so that is doubly uh, doubly so in this sermon. No one has talked to me about your marriage this week, and that's not why I'm preaching this sermon. This is a text that I often use when I uh, conduct marriage ceremonies. But I usually only limit myself to about 10 minutes. There's a lot more gold to be gleaned from this passage of Scripture. And uh, so let's uh, let's read this passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. A few weeks ago, my daughter, Naomi, had an assignment at school where she was supposed to ask someone who knew her well to describe her with just one word. And uh, so she asked her mother that, and her mother said, determined. That was the one word that she used to describe Naomi. Uh, 
Sometimes it can be difficult to summarize a person, virtually impossible to summarize a person, or a responsibility with just one word. But I think that this text of Scripture does that with wives, does that with husbands. There's one word that summarizes the responsibilities of wives, and there's one word that summarizes the responsibilities of husbands. And then there are two words that summarize the responsibilities of couples. Finally, there's a great mystery that is revealed here. It is impressive that, uh, that it all is so brief. In fact, the first point of my sermon is to seek to answer the question, why is there so little in the Bible that is direct instruction for husbands and wives? I promise you there's, there's more instruction on, on what to do with someone who has leprosy than there is with uh, marriage. Uh, this passage is not even directly about marriage. This passage is primarily about Christ and the church, and husbands and wives are just an illustration of it. But along the way, we get some of the most direct teaching that we have in the Bible. Well, I don't want to keep you in suspense for the next 10 minutes wondering what those one words are. The one word that is given to wives to summarize her responsibility is submit. The one word that is given to husbands to summarize his responsibility is love. The two words that are given to couples to summarize their marriage responsibilities is leave and hold fast. I realize that's three words in English, but in Greek it's just two words. The word for hold fast is be united. And so just two words for couples. And then there's a great mystery that is revealed. He's talking about Christ in the church. So, but before we get to those single words, let's deal for just a little while with why is there so limited, so little teaching about marriage in the Bible? And the first answer that I want to give to that is that much of the, much of the information Much of the skill that goes into making a good marriage does not need to be taught in the Bible. So uh, it should be natural. A lot of the a lot of the elements that go into making a good marriage, you you really should not need the Bible for. So throughout history, uh, Christians and non-Christians have uh, had happy marriages. They've had unhappy marriages. They've worked out marriage problems without the library full of marriage help books that we have available today. And uh, I have known lost people uh, who had, had wonderful marriages. I'm sure you have too. Perhaps you grew up in a, in a family where both your mom and your dad were lost, and it was, a, it was a wonderful marriage. It's not all that uncommon because there are not, not everything requires a detailed instruction manual. Uh, when, when we had a lot of little children at home, we were constantly breaking glasses. And uh, so about every year, we'd go to Walmart or someplace like that, and we'd buy a box of 12 glasses. They never came with instructions. They never told you this is in order to get a drink from this glass, turn on the water, hold it under the water, uh, don't break it into little pieces and eat it. It's been known in the state of California that that's dangerous to your health. 
You know, there was, there was none of that. They just assumed you know what to do with a water glass. And that is true of a lot that goes into uh, a good marriage, is that it should come natural. Now, regrettably, some of the things that have been so obvious throughout the ages are uh, being erased or attempting to be erased even now. Fundamental things like uh, a man is a man and cannot become a woman. A woman is a woman and cannot become a man. And it's a desirable thing for a man to be a man. It's not some kind of uh, toxic masculinity that he is a, he's a man. It's not some kind of weak weakness that she is feminine and soft. Uh, through, through the years that I have taught, occasionally I will... Uh, perform a little experiment. I don't want to go too far with this because it could really eat up a lot of time. If you college students meet together tonight, this might be a good exercise for you to do. But uh, what I have sometimes done through the years is I'll write on one side of the board gifts that most men have that most women don't. And then I'll write on the other side of the board gifts that most women have that most men don't. So we've got a, a man's side, we've got a woman's side. Now, so what, what are some characteristics that most men have that most women don't? Well, someone will say, well, men are very competitive. Men like to conquer things. Uh, and, you know, you go on until we've got a list of 10 or 15 things up there. Uh, women are, uh, are more emotional than most men. Uh, women are more concerned about relationships than most men. We go until we've got 10 or 15 things on the women's side. And then I would ask the class, now, if you were a manager of the human race and you wanted to optimize the skills that most women have and you want to optimize the skills that most men have, what would you have the man do? Just generally, in, in culture, what would you have the man do? And it's just obvious I think it would be obvious to a non-Christian audience if you could get them off their guard and just get them to answer honestly. It's obvious that the man is equipped to be a provider and a protector. And it's obvious that the woman is well-equipped to be a homemaker. And uh, those are... We don't even need to bring in any Christian virtues, any Christian characteristics. If you just take what the... What most men are able to do that most women aren't, and what most women are able to do that most men aren't, then you come up with the makings of a fairly happy marriage, where a man takes his responsibilities, a woman assumes her responsibilities. So I don't think that the Bible needs to give detailed instructions about the basics of marriage because it naturally it ought to be obvious. Now, I think there's a second reason why the Bible uh, gives such... Uh, such scanty information about uh, how to be a good husband and how to be a good wife is because the primary concern of the Bible is not to make you a good wife. The primary concern of the Bible is not to make me a good husband. The primary concern of the Bible is to make you a holy woman and to make me a holy man. And then a holy man and a holy woman have the raw materials to make for a happy and holy marriage. 
Uh, I have a good friend who uh, pays a lot of attention to football, and uh, he says that anymore, college recruiters don't look so much at a, a, especially he's talking about linemen. He said they don't look so much at a lineman's statistics and his present skill level as they do at his physical characteristics. And if he has a certain weight, and if he can run a certain for, uh, time in the 40, and if his arms are long, they'll recruit that. They'll recruit that young man. He'll go to a Division I school, and they'll teach him how to be a lineman. I think that's kind of the way it is with what the Lord does with Christian men and women. He, he endeavors to make us holy men and holy women, and then if we get married, then we become a holy husband and a holy wife. Uh, if, you, if you don't get married, then you remain a holy single person. But the primary aim of the Bible is to make you holy, to enjoy God and to glorify Him forever in whatever your state may be. So it doesn't surprise me when I'm reading a history book that I don't get much instruction on algebra. That's not why the history book was written. And so also in the Bible... Uh, the, the book is written primarily to call, help us to know God and in everything that we do to give Him glory. And so uh, that's the second reason why I think that the, the direct teaching that we have on the, in the Bible on marriage is so small. Just to put it bluntly, I think it would all fit on one page. I think that all of the direct teaching that we have in the Bible on such an important institution as marriage would all fit on one page. And the biggest passage is the one that I have read from my text. Now, there's a third reason. I'm just having a little mental blip here. So, uh, a third reason why the Bible is uh, so very scanty on the information that it gives to men and women. Maybe I'll think of it later. So, anyway, that's, that's the first point. So why, why does the Bible say so little directly to the subject? So let's move on to the second point, which is uh, the one word that is given to guide wives. And uh, so let me re- refer you again to the text, reminding you that I did not write this. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now there are three verses here that are devoted to the wives' responsibilities, and there's only one imperative in all three verses, and it's this one, submit to your own husbands. So what is submission? Well, submission is when you yield or surrender to the will or direction of another. When you surrender uh, your, you, you surrender to the will or direction of another. You, you, that's what, that's what submission is. That's a definition that's a paraphrase of what's in an English dictionary, but it's really a very good dictionary. You, you, you surrender your will to the will of another. That's what submission is. It is not degrading. It's not essentially, necessarily degrading. Uh, just as an example of that, Jesus himself submitted to the Father when he was on earth, 
And Jesus, Jesus' submission to the Father does not mean that Jesus is somehow inferior to God the Father. So when, when the Bible says that wives are to submit, then it does not mean that you are somehow less valuable or inferior in God's sight. Uh, which is more important, the bolt or the nut that goes on the bolt? Well, you know that, that neither one of them works well without the other. And uh, that's, that's kind of the way it is with husbands and wives. One is, one is to submit, the other is to be the head, but that doesn't mean that the man is more important than the woman or doesn't mean that the woman is less important than the man. And so the one word that is, uh, that is used to give direction to the women is submit. Now notice to whom she is to submit. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. So I, if you think that women should be submissive in society in general, you cannot get it from this passage because this passage is saying you need to submit to your own husband. It doesn't say that you need to submit to every man that there is, but you submit to your own husbands. And then there's this important qualifier. Wives, submit to your own husbands in the Lord. And so, of course, he is, he's uh, speaking to women who are believers. But before we get to that, let me ask you, what if you as a woman are married to a non-believing husband? Should you submit to him? Yes, you should. What if there are two lost people who are married? Should the wife submit to the husband? Yes, this is not distinctly Christian teaching. This is just fundamental basic teaching that in order for a marriage to work well according to the design of him who designed it, then a wife should submit to her husband. But it says, submit unto your own husband as unto the Lord. Have I got that right? I think I misquoted it just a minute ago. Let's look at it again there. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so there is some kind of correlation between the way that you, if you're a Christian woman, have submitted to the Lord and the way that you submit to your own husbands. Now, let's just say plainly that you are always to love the Lord more than you love anyone on earth. So Jesus said, unless a man hates his mother and father and sister and brother, he cannot be my disciple. And this is the same Jesus who inspired the law that says, honor your father and your mother. So when Jesus says you, you must hate your mother and father and sister and brother and wife and children, yes, even your own life, he's not, he's not teaching literally that you should hate people. He teaches us that we should love even our enemies and our, we have a greater responsibility to our family. What he is saying is that your dedication to me must be so great that all other loves in comparison look as if they were hatred. And so, wives, your, your love for the Lord is to be greater than your love for your husband. But there is some correlation between the way that a wife, a godly wife, submits to the Lord and the way that a godly wife submits to her husband. For, for beginners, when you submit to the Lord, you submit your whole life. So just a few minutes ago, uh, when Randy and Devin were exchanging rings, I, I led them to repeat these words. Uh, with this ring, 
I pledge to you my love and all that I am and all that I have, I give to you. So have you ever found that offensive? You know, that's pretty strong language. All that I am and all that I have, I give to you. That's the point that I'm making right now. That's the way that you come to the Lord. If you come to the Lord and you say, I'm going to give you all of my life except this little part over here that I want to keep to myself and just mind your own business, this belongs to me, you have not really come to the Lord. You come offering to Him your entire life and you're glad to do it. And so there's a correlation there. When a wife marries a man, then she is agreeing to give her whole life towards that man, to that man, to love him and support him. Uh, his career becomes the, wife, the wife's most concern, the greatest concern. So it's no longer that you've got your thing, he's got his thing, but you have agreed to submit, to submit every area of your life towards helping him to become all that he can become and all that he ought to be. So you do this, not begrudgingly. That's not the way you submit to the Lord. But you do it cheerfully. And so uh, submit as to the Lord. Of course, implied in this also is that if your husband should ever ask you to do anything that would cause you to compromise your faith or to sin, your first loyalty is, is to the Lord. And so you should refuse to do anything that your husband might require you to do that would be sinful. Uh, but if it's not sinful, then I just can't think of a good reason why a, a wife who is submitting to her husband would not submit to her husband in all things. So wives, submit to your husbands, your own husbands, as unto the Lord. And then there is a fact that is stated. So we've looked at the imperative. The one word is submit. And now here's a fact that is stated. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of, of the church. So you remember I told you that in these three verses, there's only one imperative. An imperative is a command. And so the one command is submit. So this is not a command. It is, it is not a command that says, husbands, you ought to be the head of your wife. It says the husband is the head of the wife. Now, husbands, this is an inescapable responsibility that you have. You might be a good head. You might be a bad head, but you are the head. You might be living in another part of the country, but you are the head. And uh, so it's just, it's just a fact that is stated and, uh, but it's in this paragraph that is devoted to why the woman ought to submit to her husband. He, he is the head. It's the way that God has designed it. And uh, even as Christ is, is the head of the church. And then this paragraph to the woman concludes with, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so that is the one word that is given to wives as to how to, how, to have a, how to have a happy marriage. Now let's turn our attention to the word that is given to the husbands. It says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives. There's the imperatives. There's the imperative. Love your wives. 
Now, what is love? I think that the rest of this paragraph that is directed to husbands will bear out that it is a delighted intention to do your wife good. Delighted is important. It's not, it's not a begrudging uh, intention to do your wife good. It is a delighted intention. You, you, love, you love this woman like you don't love anyone else. At least you have at one time or you would not have asked her to marry you. And that kind of emotional exhilaration that often accompanies the beginning of a relationship usually doesn't stay around all the time. Uh, it, it comes and it goes. Sometimes it goes for a long time. But uh, that, that emotional exhilaration is not the determination as to how you should behave be t- towards your wife. Even when that emotional exhilaration is not there, you still have the resolved intention to do this woman good. And uh, doing her good in this context, in the context of a Christian husband, is that you want to help her to become all that God wants her to be so that she will be happy and you will be happy. Yeah, the fact that you will be happy is brought up later in this passage. No one ever hated his own flesh, it says later on. So if you devotedly seek the, uh, the, the blessing of the Lord in cultivating a godly character in your wife, then she will be turned into a person that the Lord enjoys and that you also will enjoy. I use the, the phrase cultivating. Do you know what a husband is? It's an old word for farmer. A husbandman, in fact, in the King James Version of the Bible, is a synonym for the word farmer. And just like a, a farmer will see what needs to be done in his fields or what needs to be done with his animals and then do it, so a husband ought to have a, a watchful care for his wife to see what she needs. How can I help her with, with this? Uh, this, uh, this past week, I w- got into my honeybees, and uh, I saw that there were a couple of hives that were weak. They were supposed to have two hives full of bees and honey, and there was only one box that was full. The top one was just empty, and I thought, you know, they're going to have to keep that top box warm all winter, and there's no honey in there. I'll just take that top box off. And then put it back together. Also, also, they need to be fed. And so I, I went back the next day and, and fed them some sugar water because I don't think they have enough honey to see them through the winter. That's husbandry. That's the process of saying, here's something that's not going quite right. How can I fix that? Here's something that needs to be supplemented. How can I supplement that? And so that's that's the way that a husband loves his wife. It is a it is, a, it is a delighted benevolence. The word benevolence doesn't mean that you're just giving things to poor people. It means that with a good will, you're giving someone what they need. And so the love of a husband is a delighted benevolence. So let's go on. That, that's the one word that is given to husbands. And then there are a couple of examples that are given as to uh, the length and the depth to which husbands ought to go in pursuing this task. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives 
as Christ loved the church. So people who do not respect the Bible might say, oh, wives have to submit to husbands. How come we get the tough job? Well, just think about this. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. What did it cost Jesus? It cost him his life. And so the love that a husband has for his wife will be very costly. He loved the church and gave himself up for her. And here's the purpose that he did it in verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So Jesus died for the church, but that's not all that Jesus has done for the church. Jesus has also given us truth. We are the church, both men and women. We are the church. And uh, He has given us truth that will wash us, will sanctify us, will help us to get rid of the dirty things that shouldn't be in our lives and characters and to cultivate the good things that should be there. And the primary means that he uses to accomplish this is washing with the Word. And husbands are to love their wives this way. So I think if, if you want to start implementing some of these principles in your own marriage, let me recommend that you start reading the Bible with your wife. If you're not already reading the Bible with your wife, you might apologize, say, I see by the pastor's sermon today that I ought to have been doing this all along. Uh, I want to do better. Uh, I don't really know how to do this. And uh, Dallas and the men's ministry here at Bullet Lick in the, in the weeks to come, we're going to be trying to give you some resources that will help you to do this. Uh, but if you're going to love your wife like Christ loved the church, you probably won't have to die to protect her, although you should be willing to do that. You certainly can't die in order to make her holy the way Jesus died for the church to make us holy. But you can give up your living life for her, and your life can be a living sacrifice for, uh, for your wife. And, but, and one, of the, one of the most obvious ways that you can love your wife the way Christ loved the church is to be reading the Bible with her have prayer with her. If you have children at home, be sure to include the children in this. It doesn't have to be long. Uh, anything is better than nothing. But just make it your goal. Maybe read one chapter a day. If that's too much, then uh, cut it down and read uh, half a chapter a day. But as a husband, try to discuss with your wife what, what's, what is being said in this passage of Scripture so that you can love her like Christ loved the church and wash her with the water of the Word. And, uh, and then notice verse 27. I, I said that one of the reasons that a husband is solicitous to cultivate good, godly character in his wife is so that he himself might enjoy her. Verse 27 brings that out. Talking about Jesus, it says, so that he, Jesus, might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And this is something that pleases Jesus. 
And in most cases, as you cultivate godly character in your wife, it will be something that will be not only pleasing to the Lord, but also pleasing to you and incredibly, incalculably beneficial for her. So that's the first example of the way husbands are to love their wives. Now, a second example is given in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So the second example is, you take care of your body, at least to some degree. When you get sleepy enough, it starts to affect the way that you think. And you, th- you probably don't separate yourself this way. But for the sake of this illustration, let's say that you say, body, I can tell that you are very sleepy. And it's starting, you are so sleepy, it's starting to make me grumpy. And so I'm going to put you to bed now. Or body, I can tell that you are really hungry right now. And you're, you're getting kind of weak. I'm having trouble thinking. And so I'm going to feed you something. So we don't talk to our bodies that way. But for the sake of the illustration, let's separate it out. So you might see that something is happening to make your, your wife unhappy. Are you just going to be grumpy back? Are you just going to are you just going to respond that way? Love her like you love your body. Well, I can see that maybe you've got a little bit too much scheduled here. Is there something that I can do to help ease the pressure of your schedule? And perhaps uh, we can talk about uh, not scheduling things quite so densely in the days to come. And uh, you know, just love your wife like you love your body. If you don't, it starts to affect, it start of, uh, affect the way that you think. I, I have a good friend who uh, used to compete in bodybuilding. And so just before a, a, a bodybuilding show, I can't think of the name, but just before they do it, they cut weight. And so they go through these measures to get their body fat as low as possible. And he said, when your body fat gets below 5%, you can't think straight. It starts to affect your mind. Your body, your mind and your body are indissolubly connected together. And that's how it is with a husband and a wife. You are connected together. And if your wife is miserable, then you also are eventually going to be miserable. And so for, for the enjoyment and for the sake of both of you, then seek to be a good husband. Love your wife the way that you love your own body. So that's, we've seen a word to wives, submit. A word to husbands, love. And now we have these two words for couples. It's directed to the man, but it applies to both. Verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So the two words here are leave and hold fast. So it's important in a marriage relationship that it is clear to everyone that uh, husband... You are no longer 
in your father and mother's household the way that you once were. You don't go always uh, running back to mommy and daddy to tell them about your marriage problems. In fact, it's a very bad idea to tell your parents about your marriage problems because you married people know how it is. Uh, you, have, you have a great big fuss in one morning, and that night everything is okay. Fuss is over. Life is wonderful again. But if in the early afternoon you tell mom about what he has done, then she'll be mad at him for the next 10 years. And uh, if you tell dad what he said, then he's going to come over there and, and take care of business. And so it's usually not a good idea to share your marriage problems with your parents. Uh, both husband and wife need to leave and show that now a new family unit has been established. Of course, there are ways that we still honor our parents, even after we're no longer in their home. But we are no longer under the same obligation to obey everything that they say in the way that we were when we were living under their household. And so, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife or hold fast to his wife. Uh, I like be united because I think that it is obvious that it's not just physical. It is physical. I mean, it says... They shall become one flesh. And so the fact that when you are married, you are permitted to be intimate with one another is an important and an essential part of marriage as long as everyone is healthy. I know there are circumstances that happen that uh, someone may be unable to participate in a life of intimacy for certain periods of time. But the Bible is very clear about this. You should not remain apart unless it's by mutual consent, and that only for a brief time because we're both susceptible to temptation. And so a very important part of the marriage relationship is that leave your mother and your father and you're united with your wife and you become one flesh with her, and that is talking about physical intimacy. But that's not the only way that you're to be united with your wife not the only way that a married couple is to be united. As much as possible, you're to seek to agree on at least the most important issues of life. You don't have to agree on every single little thing in order to have a happy marriage, but on the important things, you do. And uh, all of this information is important not just for you people who are already married, but for those of you single people who hope to one day be married. So, Young lady, make sure that you marry a man that you can respect and to whom you can submit. Men, make sure that you marry a woman. If you're, if you're a Christian, you should marry only a Christian. If you, <clears throat> men, if you're a Christian, then make sure that you are married to a woman that you are willing to, to love and delightedly uh, cultivate godly character in her in the years that are, are to come until death parts from you. Now, this passage concludes with saying that this is a profound mystery. <clears throat> it's a profound mystery, it says in that final verse of the text. Um, well, not the final verse, but right before. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. <clears throat> so marriage is a picture <clears throat> of what Jesus has done for his people. Now, when this passage of Scripture talks about the church, it's not talking about bullet lick 
Cedar Grove, but it's talking about the people who are really converted throughout the world. That's who Jesus gave his life for. And uh, his love for us, if you, if you are a Christian, then you're, you're part of the church. His love for us is like the, the ardent, delighted, benevolent love that a godly husband has for his wife. That's the way Jesus loves us. And then in order for us to become his bride, Jesus had to do something that none of us have to do for our brides. He had to die to take away her sins. So the work of sanctification that this text talks about is not merely through the washing of the water of the Word. Jesus had to do something that we can't do. He had to die, and in His death, He satisfied the demands of God's justice that that sin should be punished by death. And then in His resurrection, Jesus gave to us a beautiful wedding gift. He gave us his own, <clears throat> his own perfect righteousness so that in the sight of God, we are dressed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. I was so glad when, <clears throat> when I came through the foyer a while ago and I saw that Randy was, was wearing what I assume is a new dress. I don't think I've ever seen her wear it before, but such a pretty white dress. And <clears throat> just on, a, on such a celebratory occasion that uh, she's wearing such a lovely dress. The Bible says that one day there's going to be a wedding ceremony in heaven. And Jesus is going to be the bridegroom, and all of his people are going to be the bride. And they are going to be given fine linen, white and clean, to wear at that wedding ceremony. Will you be in the bride? Will you be part of that ceremony that's going to take place in the future? If so, then even today, you need to say to the Lord Jesus Christ, I take you to be my Lord. I submit to you, as this passage of Scripture says, that a a wife should submit to her husband. I submit all of my life to you. I submit myself to you cheerfully. Take me to be yours. I'll be faithful. Wow. You can't really say till death do us part, can you? Because when you receive Jesus,